Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Drabble Classics, a fan-hosted series that features fan-picked stories from the Drabblecast archives, remastered and brought to you by fans like our host this week, Bart Epstein. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Drabblecast listeners. Something that makes our Drabble universe so special is that from time to time, old Uncle Norm lets one of his fans into the studio to introduce a favorite story from the archives. That's right, I'm here today with Norm's complete permission. Norm is perfectly healthy and conscious, and he's not suffering at all from any botched attempt to drug him to gain access to the studio. He's certainly not frothing at the mouth and struggling at his restraints because he spilled half the drink that was supposed to gently ease him into a friendly nap for a few hours. No, no, of course not. There was no need to tase and then restrain him the hard way. That would be barbaric and unthinkable. I'm totally an invited guest. So, anyway... Another great thing about our Drabblecast universe is that after you listen to an episode and you're feeling feelings and thinking thoughts, we have this totally free place online, the Drabblecast forums, where you can go to share your feedback on each episode with other listeners. You can do this anonymously or with as much anonymous as you might want. You can do it drunk or you can do it a week later when you're procrastinating at your desk or both. You can also pop by the forums any old time just to see what other listeners think without saying a word. Indeed, over the years, I've come to love the Drabblecast forums almost as much as listening to the stories because you people are just so damn interesting and you see things from so many different perspectives. Quite often, you point out things in stories that I never noticed. You notice things in a way that make me think, hmm... Are his restraints too tight? Did he see my face? Today's story is Primary Pollinator by Nicole Kimberling. It first aired in episode 191. After Norm reads the story, I'll share my thoughts and invite you to fight me in the forums. Dr. Lopez came for me. I was plunging the geolab toilet. She carried a red stickle suit in one hand and a spray can of antifungal lubricant in the other. Great news, Oliver. Big spike is in season, Dr. Lopez said. He finally wants to fertilize thick root. My lip curled into an involuntary sneer of disgust, and Dr. Lopez's smile twisted downward. Mine was not the reaction she'd hoped for. I was the primary pollinator for the northwestern quadrant of UNSF-controlled Bora. Every six months, the native sentient trees, called Barante, came into flower, and it was my job to ensure that pollen got from one Barante to another without incident. The rest of the time, I mopped floors and plunged toilets in the bio-bubble. 
Before the great outward migration, the Barante were pollinated by the Bora monkey bird. Then the United Nations Space Force imported athlete's foot to Bora, and the monkey bird came to an itchy extinction. Oh, maybe you'd rather not go, Dr. Lopez smirked. I can call your parole officer and tell him you're sick. I'll go. I set the plunger aside. The commander of the first UNSF mission, racked by a guilty and pernicious infection, swore that the Barante species would not perish alongside the monkey bird. Then, like all pioneering dealmakers, he left the actual work to someone else. Human proxies took on the monkey bird's role, ensuring that non-violent offenders like myself, with an interest in science, can find work-release jobs on alien worlds. I'll use the blue stickle suit, I said. Big Spike doesn't like that one. She thrust the red suit at me. He says the spines are too soft. He wants bigger bristles. He says they're more sensation. I took the suit from her wrinkled, chickeny hand. When did he say he'd be blooming? Tonight, so you'll have time to finish that before you go. Dr. Lopez crossed her arms. I don't think I need to tell you how important Big Spike is. You watch your mouth while you're pollen intoxicated. I took some lunch and a land crawler and left the encampment, heading north through the jungle. None of the exobotanists would want to do my job. I'm not so sure they would like Big Spike too much if they had to routinely disperse his pollen. Actually, I'm fairly certain that they'd become suddenly disenchanted with this entire planet if they had to walk around on it, ankle-deep in insects, greased up and squished into a rubber suit. Dr. Lopez liked to talk about what the lush, wild power of Bora taught us about our own human nature. And I've learned a lot. I've learned that even on alien planets, everything shits and shit always falls down. And I learned how much I hated Big Spike. I never even tried to hide it. Sometimes I thought he got off on my hatred of him. Other times I thought he just didn't believe me. Big Spike's expanded grove encompassed about five square acres. Hundreds of species of arboreal animals, avians, lizards, even a few primitive mammals sheltered within his big, sprawling arms. His central flowering column was as big as a house, and I could park my land crawler in his pollen chamber. Big Spike was the largest single organism on the planet, and yet he couldn't be satisfied with that. He still needed to strangle my friend Spotty to death in order to grow even more massive. Spotty was a skinny Barante of uncertain lineage. Big Spike thought Spotty was germinated from a seed brought to the northwestern quadrant by human saboteurs, or worse yet, washed ashore by a deep oceanic current. Spotty inhabited just a few square yards on the edge of the orange ocean, and Big Spike was determined to squeeze him out. When I complained to Dr. Lopez, she brought up the usual arguments against intervening in alien biological progression. Dr. Lopez didn't like Spotty. She didn't like anything weak except tea. She and Big Spike are two of a kind. They like strong, healthy organisms who outcompete weaker ones. Spotty had no chance against them. We all knew it. Spotty was barely alive, and Big Spike couldn't have been more pleased. I arrived to complete my mission, already suited up in my stickleback gear. 
I didn't really want to talk to Big Spike, so I hadn't turned on my communication headset. I stood in front of his enormous, mottled brown bud, waiting for it to open. Nothing. I reached out and massaged the brilliant green seam of Big Spike's budding pod, mimicking the motion of the extinct monkey bird, licking at the sap. More sap oozed out, but nothing else happened. No flowering. I scowled and turned on the headset. Far so inferior. Even a crippled monkey bird on his last limb could do a better job at arousing me than you could. I'd be better served by importing one of those earth animals. What are they called? Elephants, I think. I'd be better served by importing an elephant and simply training it to ram its head in my bud. Look, Big Spike, do you want to pollinate thick root or not? I asked. Oh, you're finally listening to me. That's a relief. I would feel so violated being entered without any conversation at all. Oh, come on. Like you had any meaningful chats with all those monkey birds, I said. Open up. It's not a voluntary thing, pollen boy. It's a response to pleasure. Come off it. I know you can control it, I said. Oh, did your pathetic little friend Spotty tell you that? Well, he'd just say anything to get a little inner chamber action, wouldn't he? Come on, Oliver, you know what I like. Right at the base of my bud. I shuddered, but crouched down and reached under the bud into the sticky and reeking sap beneath it. I rubbed hard on the slick, cold base and was rewarded with a gushing extrusion of stinking green sap. I had to jump back to avoid Big Spike's bud opening up like a flight hanger door. The five petals folded out, revealing a scalloped dais of variegated red and orange petals. The center of the bloom was a dark, deep, twisting invagination. The smell was unbelievable, fragrant, fruity, like the most exotic and intense wine ever imagined. When monkey birds had been alive, they'd flocked to each blooming, crowding each other out for a chance to drink of the nectar inside. Now it was just me in my stickle suit. I strapped on my backpack, ignited my headlamp, and started crawling through. Yeah, I bet you like the smell of that, Big Spike said as I wriggled through the slick, turgid folds. After about fifty feet, I came to the gymnasium-like space of the pollen chamber. A field of sticky, hairy stamens waved between me and the nectar spouts at the far side. As I stumbled through them, I heard the bud closing behind me. It wouldn't be open again until tomorrow morning, when a genuine involuntary reaction, the sunrise, triggered the bloom. In the meantime, I had ten hours to drink nectar and hang around inside this asshole I despised. So, I got another loop on your friend, Big Spike said. Won't be long now. I frowned. Big Spike was looping his own, stronger roots around Spotty's and cinching them off, depriving Spotty of nutrients and water. Why do you have to do that? I suddenly asked. Well, it's my prerogative as the dominant life form to do whatever pleases me, said Big Spike. We were fortunate to have humans come along. It brought some order to our society. How do you mean? I sat down next to a nectar conduit, stroking it briefly until it started to leak sugary sap. The stuff was mildly hallucinogenic, and so I took it in measured doses to soften the wearing edge of Big Spike's personality. 
random breeding, fertilization by stupid beasts, those were not effective ways to make sure our society flourished. Take the example of Thick Root. She's a fine old matron, about to seed for the last time. The young one who grows up through her corpse will have every advantage, easily following along her root lines to twine with mine in the great healing web beneath. Shouldn't you call it the great pruning noose beneath? A place of love, a place of battle. The world beneath is mysterious and strange, fearful and intoxicating. It is almost my world now. My roots stretch on for miles. I rolled my eyes. I didn't want to listen to Big Spike rhapsodizing about his encompassing roots anymore. He really loved talking about his roots. So, you like the fact that breeding isn't left up to chance anymore? Why should it be? I don't know, genetic diversity or something? I said, shrugging. You probably don't care about that. No, I don't. I care only that my roots touch those of my own lineage. No strangers, all family. All comfortable, all safe. So, are you ready for it? I asked. I got out the initiation buzzer. Already? Big Spike asked. We hardly talked at all. If you don't want it... I buzzed the initiator a couple of times. I do. Big Spike said. Hit me. I rammed the buzzer into the area above the sap nozzle. Because of Big Spike's many pollinations, the flesh was scarred and it took a couple of times to trigger the pollen release. Finally, an engulfing blast shot out from the string of pores lining the chamber. As usual, I didn't struggle against it. I just sucked it in. It hit me like a wave of THC kicking in after a huge hit of pot. I grinned, chuckled a little bit, scooped up a handful of nectar and casually licked it off my fingers. Big Spike kept talking, but somehow I couldn't pay attention to him anymore. I had to spend the night here, so I just lay down, leaning against the thick, grassy stamens, and snoozed while Big Spike went on and on. In the morning, I emerged, looking like I'd been the victim of a baby powder factory explosion. As soon as I heard the creak of Big Spike's blossom opening, I rushed out, not wanting to get caught inside. Having released its pollen, the male blossom was already showing signs of decay. Doubtless, Big Spike had a female blossom hidden somewhere high in his canopy. He'd never been pollinated, though. He didn't want to waste any of his energy producing seeds while he was still a young and virile plant. He preferred decrepit old plants make seeds for him. Big Spike was just that kind of grove. I got out of the blossom and into my pollen retention coveralls, a clear plastic footed jumpsuit that went over the stickle suit to preserve as much pollen as possible while en route to Thick Root. And don't forget to give Thick Root my very best, Big Spike said. I took off the headset without answering him. As I made my way down to the land crawler, I passed Spotty. He was looking worse than ever, sickly and dilapidated. His roots protruded, exposed at the edge of the cliff. He'd clearly been trying to move them away from Big Spike, but found nothing but open air. Nevertheless, Spotty still produced a blossom at colossal metabolic expense. I put the headset back on and tuned it to Spotty's frequency. He was already greeting me. Oliver, hello, Oliver, Spotty said. It was his custom to simply repeat a greeting word over and over until I got a headset on. Hi, Spotty, I said. That's a nice male bud you have. You're just saying that, Spotty said. 
You should reabsorb it, though, I chided. You don't have enough resources to lose. I know, but I'm going to die anyway. I just wanted to make a flower once. It was fun. Spotty's bud trembled slightly. I was hoping you'd come by so I could show you. I stood there, looking at Spotty's sealed bud, thinking about how really unfair life was to Spotty, to the Bora monkey bird, the sockeye salmon, and the rest of the outcompeted organisms of the universe. Spotty, I said, do you want to bloom? Bloom? Spotty sounded nervous. I've never bloomed. But do you want to? Uh, sure. Wait right here. I raced back to the land crawler, pulling off the pollen-laden stickle suit as I went, suddenly repulsed by the notion of ferrying Big Spike's genetic material around the continent. I sprayed off the remaining pollen and put on the spare suit. I really didn't know if I'd be able to make it into Spotty's pollen chamber, but I had to at least try. I returned with the initiator. Since Spotty had no visual sense, he didn't know I'd changed. I buzzed the initiator once, near the ground. What was that? It's a tool that stimulates the vibrations made by a crooning monkey bird. I'll use it inside the chamber to trigger a pollen release. You're going into my chamber? Spotty sounded a little surprised and shy. If I can fit in there, I will. I knelt down. Now first I reach down here to the bait nectar near the base of your blossom. The moment my hand touched the sensitive nub, Spotty's blossom sprang open. The scent was less sweet than Big Spike's, but thick with perfume. The petals were beautiful, violets with white and yellow spots. I told Spotty this. I I'm glad you like it. Spotty sounded embarrassed. Is it big enough? I eyed the chute leading down into the pollen chamber. It would be a squeeze, and once I was inside, there would be barely enough room to turn around, but I could make it. Absolutely, I said. May I? Sure, Spotty said. Make yourself comfortable. I pulled myself down the chute and slid in a half-crouch into the pollen chamber. Compared to Big Spike's, Spotty's chamber was almost womb-like. Only three pollen pores studded the wall. I couldn't even lift the initiator, there was no space. So I buzzed it near the wall and was rewarded with a massive spray of sticky pollen, instantly intoxicating in its potency. Is it okay? Spotty asked. I spent a couple of moments finding my tongue and then trying to remember what to do with it. Spotty started to worry. Is it bad? Did it get in your eyes? Barante didn't have eyes, but once I had explained that mine couldn't grow back if damaged, Spotty worried constantly about the vulnerability of mine. Uh, my eyes are okay, I mumbled. Colors leapt wildly up around my head. I smelled the sweet, unmistakable, delicious secretion of nectar. I admit I degenerated a little at this point and started just licking it off the wall. I skated the edge of incoherence and ecstatic delirium. Is the nectar okay? Spotty asked. It's fantastic, I mumbled, my face sticky with the stuff. The best I've ever tasted. Wow, Spotty said. That says a lot. It does. I fell back, too intoxicated to move much more, floating in and out of a nectar haze. I remember Spotty talking to me all night, but I can't remember at all what he said. I wish I could now. In the morning, when Spotty's bud opened up, I crawled out and said goodbye. 
Thanks a lot, Spotty said, sheepishly. I really appreciate it. You make it sound like it was all just pity, I said. Well, Spotty trailed off. Hey, I did it because I wanted to, I said. And your nectar was the best I've ever had. I mean it. You should bottle it up and make a fortune. I don't even have a headache. You mean it? I do, I said. It took three days to reach Thickroot, who was too senile to really notice who I was, let alone speak with me. She seemed to think I was a monkey bird. I delivered Spotty's pollen and left. By the time I got back to Spotty, he was too dehydrated to speak and lost consciousness a week later. It took him six weeks to die of thirst, strangled out of his water supply by Big Spike. Thick root collapsed a few weeks after that into a decaying heap of fungus and insect-ridden deadwood. But in her inner chamber, she made a seed that has already taken root. I watch it closely. Someday, Big Spike may find out what I did, and if that day comes, I'll return to the capricious affectations of some felon named Helmet. But in the meantime, I'll be watering that little sapling. And that was our story. When this story first aired seven years ago, much of the discussion in the forums was about the sexual imagery in the story and the power dynamics between the various characters. But what I love about this story is how it turns the idea of survival of the fittest on its head in a way that really makes you think. It's unquestionably true that having large muscles and claws helps some animals compete more successfully for scarce resources. But being larger isn't always better. Natural selection isn't about being the biggest. It's about being the best adapted to your circumstances that often change in unexpected ways. Wolves, for example, love to eat mole rats. The most successful mole rats are the ones who stay small enough to fit into the holes that lead to their underground tunnels. Big mole rats are lunch, and evolutionary pressure from wolves means that most mole rats stay small. In nature, any characteristic that gives an organism a physical or even a psychological advantage over its peers can result in reproductive success. Did you know that male and female iguanas generally walk very differently? And that female iguanas walk with a very distinctive head bob and tail lash? Well, male iguanas know, and some male iguanas have developed the ability to temporarily mimic this head bobbing and tail lashing in a way that lets them penetrate females' territories without the lady iguanas realizing there's a male approaching. By the time the female iguanas realize what is happening, the mating deed is done, and those clever male iguanas have successfully passed on their sneaky genes. Thousands of years ago, many predecessors to modern dogs and cats were wild, and many were probably jerks. 
but some of them randomly evolved characteristics that made them attractive to early humans. And those cats and dogs who were the cutest and friendliest and most helpful to early humans got themselves more food and shelter and love and protection. And now billions of them have trained billions of us to pick up their poop, which is a pretty impressive success story if you think about it. But natural variation between humans means that there are still plenty of humans who do not care for cats and dogs. And someday that variation might give those humans an unexpected evolutionary advantage of their own. How might that play out? Well, in any number of ways. A virus with a long gestation period could evolve to be dormant in cats and dogs, but deadly to their human caregivers. Over the course of a few months, every pet owner could be infected without knowing it. And six months later, those humans could all be dead, leaving behind only those humans who dislike pets. So how do you feel about today's story? Was Oliver outrageously and unethically interfering when he double-crossed Big Spike and helped Spotty? Or is it perfectly natural for Oliver to favor nice guys like Spotty over pompous assholes like Big Spike? Is there anything inherently better about one path over another? How should humans behave if we eventually start to explore beyond our own solar system? I hope you'll take a minute to drop by forums.drabblecast.org at some point to tell me what you think about all of this. You'll find me there as El Barto. Thank you for spending some time with me. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.